welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow, and I'm joined here today by Jake Avery. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Jake Avery is a singer and guitarist for the Portland band Heavy Sweaters. Yes, I, that's, that's true. Okay, and so. this is, this is a, a duo. It's a duo. It is a band, mm-hmm. but I think it's a little weird when you're the only tonal instrument in the band. The other guy's a drummer. Sure. Isn't that just sort of a dude with a guitar being played with by a, just a guy with drum? There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but we're a, we're yeah technically a band. Yeah, yeah, but I think at this point we've had uh, enough of those drum guitar duos that people are kind of used Thank to. Thank you it. Mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, we've got the Black Keys, don't mm-hmm. we? Yes. Are they still around? You know, I think they are. I think there's been some side projects and there's been a lot of producing going on from yeah. both band members, but I think they are still a band. I think they got fancy though, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, I, I bought one of their records once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, White Stripes are now defunct. Thank but, you. Um, there's there's a great one. Yes. And uh, a band we brought up on this show a couple times, House of Freaks. Never heard of it. That was uh, an earlier duo. They were working in the late 80s. Okay. And uh, same kind of deal. Okay. I'll have to check that out. House of Freaks. Yeah. All right. So so we're looking today at, I have to count on my fingers, July. Is that the seventh month? Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> Don't have man. I I didn't learn the order of the months till I was about twenty five. Okay. It's an embarrassing fact. But. Yeah, so we're looking at July nineteen eighty nine. Okay. If you can uh, you know, oh, get that memory man. working. High Junior in high school, I think. The number one song in America was Millie Vanilli's Baby Don't Forget My Number. Oh baby. You remember that one? Yeah, girl. What was the? What was <laughs> I mean, that was all of them. Was the, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> baby. I was just thinking about you. Oh, um, the great. number one movie in America was the first Batman film, the Tim Burton. I missed it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I missed a lot. Yeah. What yeah. were you up to? Um, boy, that's a great question. Saturday Night Live. Um, I was into that. I was into Spinal Tap at that point. Oh, yeah. Great. So I'd watch Spinal Tap. I had Spinal Tap actually on a cassette tape. You know, just I'd recorded the movie off of the VHS player, and mm-hmm. I would listen to the cassette of audio the audio recording the movie <laughs> in the car on the way to school. And I had that thing; I can still, you know, recite scenes yeah. from that. So, are um, heavy sweaters influenced by Spinal Tap at all? Oh yeah, you know, I think Spinal Tap's interesting because at the time you listen to the songs and you're like, yeah, right, that's, those are real songs, and then you go back and you realize it's comedians writing songs, right? And it's like, yeah, that's probably what I would have come up with too, like pretty lame uh-huh. you know like kiss yeah, yeah. like when you thought kiss was some evil satanic prog rock band and then you go back and you're like oh my god they were just like the lamest butt yeah. rock yeah just shuffle like band dudes you know? in makeup <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, cool outfits yeah but that's the kind of stuff that i kind of like yeah. i don't know i associate with yeah i had a roommate in college who was from ohio and he was a huge kiss fan and this his brother had died when he was a like a seventh grader mm-hmm. and his brother was a giant kiss fan and so there were all these things that his brother had sort of left with him that he you know it was like religious to him yeah you know because of the death of a, right. of a brother and yeah. i was at uc santa cruz in the early 90s and kiss was not you know it was not cool yeah but there was this really cool like sort of punk band called hedgehog that was starting to get bigger on santa cruz they were like we're gonna play that live kiss concert mm-hmm. that record i think it's live live alive yeah alive like alive I, yeah I think kiss, so. alive i think so and we're going to rehearse that and dress up and we're going to play it in the Porter College dining hall. Uh-huh. And they did that thing note for note. Wow. Down to the drummer singing Beth, you wow, know. yeah. And my roommate, Tim, he thought he'd died and gone to heaven. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here he is in Santa Cruz watching like the local yeah. hero punk band do a Kiss concert at the dining hall. It was yeah. amazing. 
Was Camper Van Beethoven still? Uh... They were not. I think I just missed them. I was there the year after the earthquake. Okay. So the whole place was destroyed and everything was intense and um, things were roped off and everybody talked about what a wonderful town it was right before I got there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But we had Green Day play in our in the quad. Uh-huh. That was kind of wow. that was our big moment. Fun. Yeah, well, uh, let's jump into some music. All right. So, July 1989, the number one song on the modern rock charts for the first four weeks was So Alive by Love and Rockets. Okay. And then in the final week of July, a new song comes along, hits the number one spot, and that song is Disappointed by Public Image Limited. Yeah, okay. And it's just going to stay on top for one week altogether. Wow. Let's talk about Public Image. Uh, Sometimes referred to as PIL Mm -hmm. or... I just call him Pill because it's faster. Pill. This is a band formed by John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, and he's most well-known for being the lead singer of the massively influential UK punk band, The Sex Pistols. Sex Pistols. I hear so much about The Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. Just everyone's always talking about them. There's movies made about them. Right. But this is a band that had one album. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were broken up by 1978. Right. And I don't think people talk about pill that often no 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 but still they never do actually no they, ne- they never <laughs> it's do. never been spoken about until now <laughs> no um you fact, probably had to be english i think that would part, help partly i think that would help know? yeah in the uk this was a successful band i believe the song we're going to listen to disappointed was their 11th consecutive single to chart in the uk wow and uh, you know all of their albums were charting right but surprisingly to me every single pill album except for the first one has charted on the album charts in the United States as well. Wow. Weird. My only exposure to PIL was I was in like a high school like bike club and we would, you know, ride bikes for miles and miles. And there was this guy who had a public image limited sticker on his seat, but he was a really boring dude. He was like a fitness robot. Uh-huh. And I asked him what it was and he told me and I was like, well, that must be boring. Yeah, that's music I don't like, clearly. Yeah. Having it, not heard if it. this but... guy likes it, I don't. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that was, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so after the Sex Pistols broke up in 1978, photographer Dennis Morris, Mm -hmm. now this is the guy who designed the iconic PIL logo that you referred to earlier, he invited John Lydon on a trip to Jamaica with him and Richard Branson, the uh, head of Virgin Records. And Richard Branson's whole idea here was that he was trying to get John Lydon to be the singer of Devo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, you know, John Lydon declined. That would have been an interesting alternate history. Wait a minute, who declined? Though. I'll bet Devo declined. Oh, you're right. No, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> They're like, no way. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Devo declined. Oh, that would have been, whole- oh, wow. And so John Lydon goes back uh, home and rounds up a new cast of characters, and he forms Public Image Limited. And uh, right. their, their first album was very influential. And in fact, The Edge has spoken uh, quite often about his guitar sound being heavily influenced mm. by uh, the guitars on this album. Okay. Uh, not a... <laughs> <laughs> That's I, one of those bands that, I, you know, I like U2 as much as anybody, but I, they just that guitar, they just were not greasy enough for me. I could never get into it. Sure. All right, so Disappointed is from Public Image Limited's seventh studio album, which is called Nine, just the number nine. Okay. I don't know. You want to just listen to the song? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here we go. Disappointed. 
disappointed by <laughs> Public Image Limited. Uh, I wasn't that disappointed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Have you heard the song before? No. What'd you think? You know, kind of groovy, almost like adult contemporary and it's really like in production values i mean it's just pretty slick. slick it is know? slick yeah and you got the backup singers that are singing a different you know what friends are for yeah. he's bitching about his friends and they're doing a real <laughs> yeah. straightforward you know yeah. like it's the irony of the british i think on display there and yeah. um yeah i always think it's slightly uncomfortable when when the backup singers don't seem to be on the same page mm-hmm. as the singer i feel like they're being slightly used yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it does. It like does sing seem this, like... sing this, and we're gonna play it, and it's gonna be an ironic, disjointed part of the song. Sort sure. Of. And then, and they're like, "Well, we were singing our hearts out. Uh-huh. Well, that's what friends are for." Uh-huh. And he was bitching about his friends. Yeah, they and went. So they I went feel home. like they've been tricked. Uh huh. I think my favorite moment is when he. What does he say? You're just a really bad person. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like he's talking to us, the listener. It's like, oh gosh, thanks. Uh thanks pal yeah you know speaking of being disappointed i've read quite a few books about modern rock bands and a few different stories i've read of up-and-coming american bands and they'd be touring across the country and they'd be really excited because they got to play a show opening for public image limited huh and uh they'd meet him and he they describe him as like getting out of his limo and being surrounded by like this big old crew and just like, and just, like totally blowing everybody off and acting like a total dick and uh there was some disappointment there yeah. for sure oh i can imagine yeah but you know i don't think that that concept of selling out existed in the early uk punk scene in the same way that it kind of developed in the u.s hardcore scene. right he didn't commit suicide over his success right let's put it that way yeah um, i wish i knew more about the british scenes well um our second band that we're going to hear, we're going to hear a song by a band called Wire, okay. also a UK band, formed in 1976. Okay. This is one of those really early wow, punk that's, bands. that's old. It's yeah. almost as old as me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's old. Wow. <laughs> and um, so they were, they were classified as punk early on, but very quickly uh, when the post-punk mm-hmm. description came along, they kind of got categorized into that. But they were all, always a little bit maybe artier than some of their peers. Did post-punk happen early? I mean, they must have happened earlier in England too. I mean, I think we Very went, early. I think we were post-punk in like 85, 86, and they probably were going through it way you earlier. You know what? My understanding is that in England, that whole punk thing had played itself out by like 1977 or right. 78, and they people were, like, were moving on. Yeah. Yeah. In America, we weren't really discovering punk music uh, until the 80s yeah. a little bit into the 80s i mean of course there, there were the ramones and, and things like that going on in new york yeah but, but as, as a kid i always thought the ramones were from the 50s <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense it's one of those weird realizations like oh god yeah. <laughs> this is not a 50s band yeah yeah weird. but i think i think america when they really got into punk music it was it was that hardcore scene that yeah formed up around you know black flag yes. and, and similar bands SST like that and, stuff mm-hmm, and, yep yeah so Wire is a massively influential band. They're one of those bands uh, that we hear about so often that didn't sell very many albums, right. but influenced a whole generation or two following them. They've been covered by numerous bands. Notably, I would say R.E.M. covered their song Strange on their Document album. Oh, I had that record. Yeah, so you might not have known it, but there was a Wire oh. song on there. Huh. Yeah. And uh, they've also been covered by, you know, My Bloody Valentine and Minor Threat. That's a good crowd to be in. Yeah, it's, I think it speaks well mm-hmm. of Wire, certainly. Okay. And uh, the first time I heard about Wire, I, I definitely heard about them before I heard them. And it was because in the 
mid nineties. The band Elastica. Do you remember this band? Oh yeah. There was a lawsuit involving some kind of uh, plagiarism or copyright infringement because Wire felt that a couple of Elastica songs maybe sounded a little too similar. Okay. Do Bless your hearts. Yeah. Do you want to hear uh, just a short clip and see what you think about these two songs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to hear, this is the, the Wire song, Three Girl Rumba. All right, and here is Connection by Elastica. (laughs) Yeah, I can hear the similarity there. Okay, (laughs) so clearly Elastica is inspired by Wire. Yeah, and you know, I think if you write any songs or play guitar, you know, know, you've listened to stuff and then you sat down and started strumming something and you're like, oh my God, that's it. I got to change that. Uh Or maybe I don't have to change it because nobody's going to hear it anyways. (laughs) Yeah. If you're in the heavy sweaters, no one's going to actually hear it. So you can do whatever you want. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have that problem a lot. I'll strum a guitar. You know, that sounds cool. I just wrote Free Fallen again. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it was already done so well by Tom Petty. I know, I, I know. Yeah. Okay, so the song we're going to hear is called Eardrum Buzz. It hit number two on the modern rock charts. Okay. And uh, it's from their sixth studio album called It's Beginning To and Back Again. That's a mouthful. It is, uh, which is sometimes why it's referred to as I-B-T-A-B-A. Which... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to call it from now on. <laughs> or may- maybe people call it Ibtaba. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know what it sounds like to me? It's beginning to and back again, a right. hobbit's tale. It should be said with a Yoda voice. Uh-huh. Like yeah. Beginning to and back again it is. <laughs> this, this is a really weird album. It started as a, a series of live performances, okay. and then they took them to a studio, and they chopped them up, and they put them all back together again until they were something totally new. But a big chunk of the songs on this album are songs that were on their previous album, just one year earlier. Okay. It's, well, people were familiar with the tunes. Yeah. And like, hey, yeah, it's, it's not a live album. It's not a remix album. It's not a greatest hits. It's just like some of the previous album but live slash studio and then uh, some new songs. Weird. Yeah. And it's, so that was probably pretty groundbreaking. And then the question is, is did anybody ever do that again? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. And and I, I couldn't figure out why they did this either. It's just a it's a mystery. Okay. But Eardrum Buzz is one of the uh, new songs on here. Okay. And um, it's a song that feels a little out of place on the rest of the album. This is uh, kind of a poppier song, and the rest of the album not quite as much so. But let's listen to it and see what we think. All right. Here it is. Wire, eardrum, buzz. Wow, I bet you that guy was an arachnophobe or something like that. Or like, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. think there's some things that like certain artists get like hung up on, like space or um, flies, mm-hmm. and that's I think at a window into their, <laughs> into yeah. their soul. You know, yeah. like, the buzz, buzz in your eardrum. Yeah, I mean that's such a cool idea, and it's you sort of put yourself in his place and go, God, how, how do you come up with that? <laughs> 
you know. Mm-hmm. I'm always wondering that. Yeah. This is an interesting song because I, I think it's very much an attempt to write some kind of pop song. Mm-hmm. And yet they can't go all the way pop. Like there's there's these elements that just Yeah. These or sounds, disco. I mean like yeah, you could tell that they were trying to get people dancing, you know. And then and then there's a chorus, which you know is a pretty catchy chorus. And then there's just that really deep voice buzz buzz <laughs> that's I, that's probably so much cooler with headphones like if you were in some crappy car stereo situation right. you'd never hear that you know that's right i've been trying to figure out what this song is about and i think maybe when most people first listen to it they assume it's either a, an insect mm-hmm. um literally buzzing in your ear or maybe it has something to do with music uh you know a song getting stuck in your ear that kind of thing or a recording engineer thing like mm-hmm. oh my god meet oh, the buzz. Tinnitus. i cannot get rid of that that buzz uh-huh. you know, like- <laughs> yeah but there's a few people that are mentioned um marco polo buffalo bill um yeah adolf and hannibal i believe there might be some more that's what i heard and um you know, I don't know a lot about Marco Polo, and I've never considered him like a murderer. But <laughs> I, I kind of get this this vibe though that it's like the song is about killers of some kind, and they're hearing this like voice in their ear, and it's driving them to do these these awful things. Right? Yeah. And Buffalo Bill, of course, is a character from the 1988 novel Silence of the Lambs, which came out uh, just prior to this song. So there was time for. Um, these guys to have read that book and right. been inspired by it. Yeah. Yeah. I was hearing those names. I think on the second name, I, I kind of was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to figure out what all those names are. Yeah. So I have no idea if that's what, what <clears throat> it's about, but if it's true, it, it does add a, a very creepy element to it. Pretty creepy. Yeah. But, but still fun. You know, I got to go to f- Europe a few times in like the eighties as a teenager mm-hmm. with like student tours. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't care what, little tiny town you were in with you know 200 people and you're there to see some like famous castle right and we'd all go to the disco and there'd be a bunch of people dancing Mm -hmm. and i think that didn't exist in the states no and that's a huge part of this like that song for instance i think that was going to get played in that disco and there's gonna be teenagers dancing to it you know and Mm -hmm. they needed that music yeah whereas here we just needed stuff to like listen to in muscle cars Uh uh-huh yeah it's I mean, that's my experience too. Rock fans in America don't seem to like to dance. No. I've been to so many rock shows and I, I just want people to be pumped and excited and move. And it's just like a crowd, like a sea of people standing there. Yeah, the slam, the slam was the closest we got, you know, and then it became dangerous so mm-hmm. quickly, you know. But it, at first, I think it was that attempt to like, what's that Wilco line um, from heavy metal drummer one oh, sure. but he's yeah. like unlock your body to dance and i've always thought that was a brilliant line just that transition from standing there going you know yeah to like moving your body it's such a hard uh-huh. uh, transition for americans to make you know mm-hmm. but I, it wasn't that way in in europe and in england i mean they were just that's what teenagers do they went and danced yeah and they needed dance tunes and that's i think you're right it's definitely reflected in the music mm-hmm. yeah um okay that was wire let's uh, go to our third artist and this is an American band okay. by the name of Pixies. Awesome. Yeah. At this point, 1989, Pixies have released their second full-length album, okay. Do Little. Loved it. My first exposure to the Pixies was uh-huh. reading a Rolling Stone magazine, and it said, there goes your band. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And uh-huh. it was about the, the breakup of the Pixies, and that was the first time I'd ever heard about them. Yeah. So. Did, did you um, check them out right then, or did you uh, wait a little while? No, that while? would have taken me years and years. Um, I remember that they broke up, mm-hmm. and then I bought 
my first Frank Black record at a garage sale mm-hmm. 10 years later nice. and went, hey. This is good. Th- yeah. <laughs> Do you know which album that was? Teenager of the Year. Great. It's a great album. I love that. I like. I think I liked Frank Black a little more than the Pixies for some reason. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, He's got a lot more material at this point. Well, now he's like a folky almost, and you know, I've been through that stuff too. And, yeah. and I, like, I like a lot of his stuff where he started like recording kind of live, you know, mm-hmm. and the album starts out with a mess up and then they start over again. I'm like, Oh, that's exactly my style. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, we mentioned Frank black Uh, when he was in the Pixies, he went by black Francis. Yes. And of course, Kim deal, uh, or she went on to great fame with the breeders. Yep. Joey Santiago and David Lovering rounding out the bunch. I I saw David Lovering play drums for, it was right after the camp van Beethoven breakup and Mm -hmm. cracker played in Golden Gate Park, uh-huh. and this girl that I was, I think I lived next door to her, um, she took me to see him, and I was like, oh, I don't know who that is, mm-hmm. They're probably lame, you know, yeah. it's not Led Zeppelin, sure. and, uh, you know, they introduced the drummer, David Lovering, and everybody went nuts, and mm-hmm. I was like, something's up with this drummer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people like this I'm going to store this in my, in my brain somewhere, and yeah, look it up seems later. seems to be well-liked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw... Um, Frank Black solo show in Santa Cruz years ago, and Joey Santiago was playing guitar with him. Oh, wow. But David Lovering opened for Frank Black as a science magician. <laughs> I thought Joey Santiago was like a, a, like a clown, or like he like does clown shows for kids' parties. He totally could. <laughs> I, I haven't seen them, but that sounds great. Um, yeah, I, all I remember the is uh, David Lovering, he had a like a kick drum with a hole cut out, and he filled it with smoke or fog or whatever, and oh, banged on it, and was shooting smoke rings across the audience. And then I believe he electrified a pickle and made it glow. <laughs> You're just like, just play some Pigsy's tunes. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, and, and you know what's crazy about that is, I could be misremembering, but I feel like the breeders were going to play that same venue. Oh, like, wow. The one or two probably. days. I think it was a catalyst. Yeah. Yep. Like, like one or two days later. And I was just like, why don't you just all get together yeah, and do come this? on. Get along. Yeah. Play. Yeah. So, um, Doolittle, it's been hailed by many as one of the best albums of the 80s. In 2003, an enemy poll ranked it as the second best album of all time. Wow. It was a surprise success in the UK. The album went all the way to number eight over there. Wow. Pretty good. But we're going to listen to a song called Here Comes Your Man. Okay. This song was written by Black Francis when he was 14 or 15 years old. So they had it around for a while. It was left off their first EP and their first album because they thought it was too poppy and too commercial and not really what the band was doing. Uh, And the band kind of wanted to leave it off of Doolittle as well. And their producer liked it and thought it had some hit potential and like really pushed them. Mm -hmm. And eventually they caved and gave it a go. And uh, it became one of their more well-known songs, for sure. One of their bigger hits. They probably broke up because they couldn't handle playing it in concert anymore. Uh, that, that could have been part of it, yeah. <laughs> like, uh. Uh, yeah, this this went to number three on the modern rock charts. And uh. the, the band did not like performing it live. I can imagine. The Pixies famously turned down an offer to appear on the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> uh, because they wanted them to play Here Comes Your Man. Oh. And uh, they said they'd appear if they could play Tame instead, which is <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right, a much a much rougher, rawer song. What a scream. Uh, and Arsenio and company said no way. And so they, they missed out on that. That could have oh. been the that could have been their path to superstar success right yeah. there. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What a different, like an alternate reality. There's so many times in show business history when could have gone a different way. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe I would have liked it more, but maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I still wouldn't have watched. You know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there was this amazing band that played this amazing song on Arsenio Hall, you know, last night. And I would have been like, if they played on Arsenio Hall, they probably sucked. Yeah. So I didn't watch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're on Arsenio, not the band for me. Yeah. <laughs> so here it is. Here comes your man, the Pixies. What chemistry. Yeah, definitely. That's an amazing sound. I love this song. I love this album. You know, I sort of understand the Pixies' point of view and not really wanting to play the song. You know, they saw themselves, I would assume, as competing in some sense with bands like Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. And they had a certain credibility they had to maintain. They wanted to be seen as cool. I've seen an early interview with them, and they pretty much just straight up said that. We write songs trying to sound as cool as we can like that's our goal (laughs) that's great um and you know this song is definitely popular it's Mm -hmm. definitely something that that a more mainstream audience is going to appreciate yeah the irony here being though that that all of these other bands that they're trying to impress two three four years later they were also trying to put out popular songs right they were like god let's make some money yeah exactly once (laughs) once the money started flowing yeah yeah just the timing you know the timing was awful been in the right you know at the right moment it would have been like yeah yeah so um kim deal featured on the song singing backup vocals yeah she's playing bass as well of course but um there was some friction in the band at this point where Kim Deal was trying to assert herself as a songwriter. She had co-written Gigantic on the previous album. Right. Uh, she sings a song on Doolittle. Right. And she sings a lot of backup vocals on this album. And Frank Black really saw this as his band and he, he pushed uh, back. And, you know... It, what a <laughs> what a moron. Like that her voice is incredible. Yeah, and if you look at the the following two Pixies albums, Kim Deal's voice is certainly less prevalent. Yeah, I think of her voice as a huge part of that band mm-hmm. and then but how many songs did she actually show up on you right know, i wonder yeah and uh, eventually she felt like she had to move on huh? uh in order to showcase herself a little more and uh pixies split up frank black went solo and you know the rest is history and then maybe we're better off you know maybe that, that, that would we have all these weird frank black records you know mm-hmm. where he's singing about fish and he's going to new orleans and playing with session guys you know and right. doing weird stuff like that i don't know maybe maybe it would have uh, gone a different way sure and plus we we get to be the, the cool kids who are into this band that yeah the mainstream audiences don't know about <laughs> you don't know about this stuff yeah. you don't want to know yeah, they're, they're called pixies you never heard of them <laughs> i think the people that you really have to feel bad for though are the the people that weren't the songwriters, you know, the Joey Santiago's mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't know sure what he's been doing. Maybe he's had a better time than he would have had the Pixies been huge, but I think we should have kept working that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he should have been, he should have been entertaining us. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, I think he did some work with Frank Black over the years and um, I heard rumors that he was a clown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who'd you hear that from? <laughs> Yeah. I'll say this too about the song though. Here Comes Your Man is kind of a gateway song for me. Right. At the time I was introduced to this, I was not quite prepared for 
the loud, heavy sounds that I would get into later. Right. And um, this one immediately was something I could grab onto and I liked. And it led me to check out other songs. And before I knew it, I was listening to Debaser. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, whoa, this this would have hurt my ears never a month ago. Yeah, but, you, yeah. but there's something here that I really like. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our fourth and final song. Let's talk about Pear Ubu. I have brushed past this band a few times and mm-hmm. always liked what I heard. This is a kind of an art punk underground avant garage. Okay. Avant <laughs> uh, garage. Cool. Uh, a rock band formed in Cleveland uh, in 1975. Wow. And uh, it's led by a guy named David Thomas. Okay. Uh, not the same Dave Thomas who uh, founded Wendy's restaurants. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, also not the actor-comedian from Strange Brew who, <laughs> <laughs> who played uh, one of the McKenzie brothers with Rick Moranis. Oh, no. Not that guy. No one knows that guy's name because everybody knows Rick Moranis' name. Yeah. I've never... His name's Dave Thomas. Have, yeah, I never would have been able to come up with that. Well, you're not Canadian. No. No, this is a different David Thomas altogether. David Thomas started in a proto-punk band in the mid-70s called Rocket from the Tombs under the alias Crocus Behemoth. <laughs> An alias I've used before, you know, it's a occasionally. Good, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like he's a member of Guar. <laughs> He's got a couple of umlauts in there. Yeah. Two of the members of Rocket from the Tombs formed the Dead Boys with Steve Baders, and David Thomas and guitarist Peter Laffner went on to form Per Ubu. Okay. This is a band, once again, I think, that has been influential or that a small audience really loves and appreciates, but has not seen very much mainstream success. Okay. But they are known for legendary performances. Okay. And I've read some interviews with David Thomas, and he's claimed that when he and the band are on their tour bus, he does not allow any talking. (laughs) There's no music. There's no TV. Oh, wow. They all just need to stay in their own headspace to mentally prepare for their awesome show that they're about to put on. Fun guy. But yeah, yeah, okay. I bet they all love that. Like, yeah, great. (laughs) Oh, my God. Perubu has only been asked to open for other bands three times. Wow. Once by They Might Be Giants. Once by The Pixies. Wow. And once by Gang of Four. Okay. And um, I'm going to quote Dave Thomas here. He says, that's three strong, self-confident bands. But you'd have to be a fool to have Perubu open for you otherwise. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) We have the Jerry Lee Lewis attitude of setting the damn piano on fire and saying, follow that. (laughs) The Pixies are our friends, but we did our best to go out and burn them. And I would expect anyone who opens for us to try and ruthlessly burn us. Let's have enough of this hippie sharing stuff. I'm not sharing nothing. It's not personal. They're your friends, but burn them. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you ever managed to catch a, like a video of these guys performing? No, but now I'm going to. It's something. And David Thomas, he's one of those guys that does not look like a typical rock singer. Okay, you know, he's, right. uh, he's a big guy. He moves around a little awkwardly, but very intense. That might have been the problem. He just mm-hmm. didn't look the part. Perhaps, yeah. So we're going to hear the song called Waiting for Mary, and it hit number six on the Modern Rock Charts. It's from their seventh album, Cloudland. And this is Peruba's first attempt at something that might be considered a pop album. Okay. So uh, here it is, Waiting for Mary by Perubu. All right.
there's like a, there's a heavy meatloaf uh, comparison I think you could make. Oh, nice. It's a little it muppety. Just meatloaf for me, but really? yeah, I mean, I dug it. Was Mars in the first line? Welcome to Mars. It's open all hours. Yeah. What are we doing here? Brilliant. I was just also wondering if it could pass the Swiss discotheque test. What do you think? I don't know. There's a lot of spots where you'd have to stop dancing uh-huh. and like do the frog <laughs> or something. And then, yeah. and then it gets quiet and the DJ's like, uh, next record. Uh-huh. Like, but cool. I could see the guy as a big guy mm-hmm. after you mentioned that. Let me ask you this. Did, did you hear any birds chirping in the background of that song? I think I might have. I thought I might have for a second. And, and when I thought I heard that, it reminded me of another interview I had read where um, David Thomas had read some reviewer complaining that Perubu had two songs about birds. <laughs> and the, the reviewer was like, what do they do? Write all their songs about birds? They had two songs in a row with birds in them. And his response to that was to try to stick as many birds into as many oh, songs as he possibly could. Brilliant. I don't know if this was one of them, but it could have been. It was a tortured soul. Yeah. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I think this band is uh, still around, at least from time to time. So if you want to see them, you might have a chance. I might. Yeah, yeah. The two shows a year that I see uh-huh. um, might be that might be one. <laughs> okay, well, that was our four songs. This was July 1989. It reminds me of how uncool I was in July of 1989. Uh-huh. Very. Uncool. Do you know? Do you know what you were listening to? It wasn't Millie Vanilli, but what no, was no. Um, I was coming through heavy Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Rolling Stones, and I had a tape that was one of my favorite things to drive around and listen to, which was. The Colt Electric on one side and Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction on the other side. Okay. We listened to, uh, just a couple episodes ago, Firewoman by Fire the Colt. Firewoman, yeah, yeah. That's when they, yeah that, they were starting to lose it. Bless their hearts, you know. They, they held it together for a while, but it wasn't very good music. It was the kind of thing that, would it have worked in a, in a Swiss discotheque? No. Did it work in your car driving around right. San Luis Obispo, California? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you could do a burnout. And that's really what's important. And that's really what it was all about. Yeah. You know? And then the tape would flip over and, and you had, welcome to the jungle. You know, we uh-huh. have fun and game. You're like, wow, what's this about? Um, all right. Well, I think we need to wrap it up. So for you listeners out there, we're going to be doing a very special episode at the end of this season. We're doing a 13th episode, which is going to be live in the studio. We're going to have a live band performing some of these songs from 1989 that we didn't get a chance to hear earlier. And if you would like to participate and help choose one of these songs, you can go to the This Is Modern Rock Facebook page and uh, vote for which song you would like the band to play. So that should be a lot of fun. Otherwise, thank you for listening, all of you out there. Jake, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Have a good one.